Welcome to the Castalia podcast. My name is Isla Ratcliffe, I'm a Scottish fiddle player, and I have just released my debut album, The Castalia. In this podcast, I interview musicians from Cape Breton, an island on the east coast of Canada with a rich traditional music culture, thanks to the many Scots who emigrated in the 18th and 19th centuries. I was very lucky to spend four months in Cape Breton, a life-changing experience that inspired my album. It is the people behind Cape Breton music who make it so special. This is why I have created this podcast, to give you the chance to meet them. In some ways, Cape Breton flew under the radar, and then at some stage in the 90s, more videos started coming out. And then, of course, when the internet got more popular, you know, you could then start finding stuff on YouTube way more easily. Records don't carry the visual that, like, a dance video does. Today, I'm chatting to Annabelle Bouguet, the step dancer on my album. Annabelle and I were both students at Cape Breton University, and we went to many sessions and square dances together during our time there. I wrote Tune for Annabelle, track four on my album, for her. I'm a step dancer, and I also play a bit of piano, and I'm originally from Richmond, Virginia, Still on the East Coast, like Cape Breton, but just in America, a little further south. I've grown up um, dancing. I grew up as a competitive Irish dancer, actually. And I spent like the first 18 years of my life really doing that. And so much has unfolded since that now I kind of dabble in a lot of different forms of step dancing. I've had a lot of opportunities to live abroad and get to learn a lot of things along the way. Well, it's lovely to be chatting to you today, Annabelle. I'm going to start off by asking you four questions. So first of all, what is your favorite thing about Cape Breton music? Maybe I'm biased, but one of my favorite things about um, Cape Breton music is how much piano there is in it. And I think that makes it very conducive um, for dancing or for really lighting up a hall or or a room or wherever it's being played. There's really a pulse to the music that I I love all sorts of different kinds of traditional music, but for me, that really sets everything about Cape Breton music um, apart from the rest in a lot of ways is the the very specific piano tradition and how much like um, it mixes so well with the fiddles and the the pipes. And I I just love that. And it makes me want to dance so much. (laughs) I certainly agree. I think, yeah, when I was in Cape Breton, I just totally fell in love with, well, many things about Cape Breton music, but yeah, certainly the piano style was one of the big parts of that. Second question, why do you dance and play music? When it when I first started dancing, I didn't have that much of a choice. It was I was probably in kindergarten when I started Irish dancing. Um, that was something that my mom wanted me to try and I went along with it. Um, this was like back uh, like late 90s, early 2000s when Lord of the Dance was really popular and I think she saw Michael Flatley and went, my, my kids should do something like that. So that's where I started. However, I did quit. I quit when I was nine and I didn't come back uh, to any form of dancing until I was 12. And things were kind of different that time around because it was more of my choice than like, you know, you sign your kids up for lots of different things when they're younger. And for me, um, I guess I started it originally as a way to like just have something to do. I had recently moved and I needed something to do. And uh, it really sucked me in in a much different way than it had before because I loved the music so much. Um, I loved Irish music and I found that 
I spent so much time just listening to music outside of the dance studio that I ended up getting really into. Um, within my first year of coming back to Irish dance, I was listening to a lot of Irish and Scottish and a lot of like Cape Breton music that I didn't even know anything about it. Um, I look back at what I listened to when I was around that age and there was like so much like Natalie McMaster, Ashley McIsaac, I had no idea what I was listening to. I just really liked that whole sub-genre, that big blanket of music of like Celtic stuff. <laughs> and um, in a lot of ways, that's what kept me dancing. I always joked and said that I, I danced because I really like music, but I didn't play any like music at the time. Third question, what is your favorite musical memory? Oh, that's another one that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I have a couple. One would be, it was like the first one of the first things I did when I got to Cape Breton was I originally came as a study abroad student and I eventually decided to just stay there permanently but when I first came to Cape Breton that was in the fall of 2018 and uh, my first week there you know there's lots of orientation stuff because you're a new student and it was kind of boring because you know I just wanted to like get to the music and not like the, the rest of anything that I was there to do and um you know I was uh put in touch with Carol and Mario. <laughs> and the first week I was there, they didn't know who I was. They're just a local couple who love taking international students around to lots of different music events. They, um, they reached out to me with email and they were like, you know, the fiddle player Paul Cranford is receiving an award and we're going to go watch him get this award. And then there's going to be tunes to follow. And then there's going to be an after party at our house. And then after that, we will go to the Blue Mist for a session. So it was like three things all in one. And I had no idea. Yeah, it was, I wish you had been there. <laughs> um, it was like such a fast introduction to everything about Cape Breton, uh, meeting lots of very prominent musicians and just like befriending everyone and then just being totally welcomed in to everything very quickly. You know, there were no like, oh, it's a new person. We don't want to like socialize with them or let them in. They were like, no, come on. It was when I was at the Blue Mist that night that I, like, I just knew I wasn't going to leave. I was, I texted my mom and I was like, oh, I'm not going to leave. <laughs> and I don't know what it was, but there was something just about, I, I mean, there were like 30 fiddle players in the room, I feel like, and the wow. piano was going and it was such a fun night. And that probably was my, has been my favorite night at the Blue Mist, despite the fact that there have been many great ones. Wow, 30 <laughs> fiddle players at the Blue Mist, that's a lot. It couldn't have been that many, but in my mind, there were just tons. It was yeah. more than you usually see, though, because it was like a lot of people had turned out for this little award for Paul. And then I think because it was like the very end of the summer, there were still like maybe coming on the trails of Kitchen Fest. There were still people like hanging mm. around that didn't normally come out to the session on a normal night. Like there were it was definitely more fiddle players than I think I've ever seen. But it felt like 30. It might have been 20, though, if I'm being honest. It was a lot. <laughs> wow, that is a very good musical memory. Sounds yeah. Great. And fourth question, another tricky one. What is your favorite tune? Ooh, okay. I think the first one that comes to my mind um, actually would be the editor's favorite. It's a Strauss Bay that you hear quite often in Cape Breton. I don't know if, if that's as common in Scotland or not, um, but that's a tune that I love that tune. And you know what? I don't. I don't play it on the piano and I really need to learn it because like really? that is a tune that I know I well I put a moratorium on learning lots of stuff in A because I think it was right around the time COVID started 
I had been doing all tunes in A and I was like, you need to branch out. You got to learn some new things. And um, I, I like, I'm sure I could pick it out if I sat down, but that's like not one of the ones in my immediate repertoire, but definitely a favorite. Although honorable mention should really go out to all of our F tunes. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Dalhousie and all of them that we we all learned, um, me and Isla in that fiddle class with mm-hmm. Kyle at Cape Breton University. Yeah. Yep. Before we go any further, it'd be great if you could explain to listeners what step dance is, because I'm sure there's some people Ooh. listening who are like, what on earth is this? I'll try to go about it in the way that I try to explain it to people when I'm back home in the States. They get really confused, people who know me, because I started off doing lots of Irish dance. And they didn't necessarily know what that was that well, but they had a better idea than when I said step dance. So I'll start with going, if you looked at like river dance as your base, okay, you see pretty stiff upper body and like very rigid, like the feet are crossed and turned out. So let's take that and let's dress it down a little bit. Your posture is a little more loose, not necessarily like tap dance. You still keep a very upright posture a lot of times, but like your arms are a little looser usually. Maybe your head has a little more freedom. It's more improvisational than having tons of memorized steps. Um, Even if you have short little sequences memorized, it's definitely more improvisational and listening to the music very closely. And then in terms of technique, you know, your feet aren't usually very crossed over. They're generally not turned out. And so in a lot of ways, it's it's like it's just a little bit looser and it's not quite tap dance and it's not quite river dance. It's kind of this little traditional middle point. <laughs> and I, I hope that gets the, the image across a little bit better. If you wanted mm-hmm. to go at it really simple, you could say it's like playing music, but with your feet. But then that leaves out the whole visual aspect of it as well. Yeah. And it really is all about the feet. You know, like some people might know of like Scottish Highland dancing where the arms are very involved as well. But step dance is just the feet. Yeah, step dance would be just the feet. If anything, I don't know actually if I noticed this as much in Cape Breton because in general I feel like people had to maybe move their arms a little more when I was in Ireland and arms were more by your side um, in Cape Breton. But I would also say that too much upper body movement would also like be seen sometimes as a negative. So contrasting that from like Scottish Highland dancing, not only do you not really use arms, but if you like go a little too loose, that might raise some eyebrows. Interesting. And where did step dance come from? Ooh, which came first, like the chicken or the egg? Well, um, (laughs) you know what? We have so much step dancing um, in Ireland and Scotland, and I'm always throwing Ireland in there because I did. I spent two years living there, so that definitely influenced me. A lot of it uh, has to do with like the Highland clearances in like the 18th century, late 18th century, where many people from the Highlands and Islands of Scotland um, immigrated to Cape Breton. And so, you know, they brought their music and their dancing with them. And ever since they've been in Cape Breton, you know, it's had so much space and time to flourish where with a lot of things with like the um, with England and like the monarchy at the time, you know, that was getting very stamped out in the, in the highlands. And so it's interesting. I haven't spent, golly, I really need to do a trip to Scotland. I've hardly spent any time in Scotland. It's very sad. Um, But you know, it seems to be from like the interactions I've had with um, Scottish step dancers in Scotland that, It kind of came to a point where a lot of um, people who wanted to learn more step dancing in Scotland had to look at dancers in Cape Breton because we kind of ended up being the tradition bearers in that sense. Like, 
they had they had to leave um you know for their their safety they needed to get out of the highlands and islands and so we had the dancing and so it's kind of cool watching exchanges at various festivals and cultural events between cape breton and scotland yeah i mean it's interesting because step dance is something that's it's not very well known in scotland at all yeah apart from like among the traditional music scene and even within the traditional music scene i'm sure there are a lot of people who know very very little about step dancing it's yeah yeah I um knew a professor uh, at the University of Limerick and he talked about how you know he was always really into lots of things with like Scottish Highland dancing and all sorts of different kinds of percussive dancing and at some stage in the 90s I forget how but like maybe someone had a VHS tape of someone in Cape Breton and it just enthralled him watching like a step dancer at like a square dance you know, in some ways, Kate Breton flew under the radar. And then at some stage in the 90s, more videos started coming out. And then, of course, when the internet got more popular, it, you know, you could then start finding stuff on YouTube way more easily, you know, where you really originally kind of had to be in the know. And although, like, certainly you had records coming out of um, Kate Breton during like, the 1900s, records don't carry the visual that, like, a dance video does. So I think in a lot of ways, probably the boom in dancing right now in Scotland with step dancing probably just comes from even just increase of technology and being like, yeah, wait, Cape Breton exists. And it's not just a fiddle style, uh, which I think is very interesting. And I, I think of what a treasure trove that professor must have felt when he saw Cape Breton like step dancing for the first time and was like, what is this? It's like Scottish, but it's also in Canada. What's going on here? How much more is there to learn? And there's so much, there's so much to learn. The interesting thing, I don't know if this is true for Scottish like Gaelic, um, but I know with Irish, something that frustrates people is that there is an old, like, you know, there's a word for music, but a lot of the words for dancing are newer. They're newer words. Rinka and Dowsa, they're both like, they're newer words. Um, And so it leads the question of like, was there a time when there wasn't a lot of dancing like this? So there wasn't a word for it or was music seen as the, the same as dancing so there wasn't a dividing point between the two words so step dancing comes from the area of like uh, ireland and scotland and then we have reason to think that there is some influence from like court dancing in like spain and france like from like the 1500s um, it's been a while since i've taken my dance history class and then when things came over to north america there it, it did get a little more interesting because you had more influence especially along like in Virginia where I live, uh, like Appalachian flat footing would be very influenced by that. So there's a lot of give and take like today between all of these uh, dance styles that you can kind of pick out similar movements between all of them. So that's always wildly interesting where you could be doing step dancing in Cape Breton, but then I could also go to like um, like an old time like jam session in Virginia. And I the step dancing is definitely different, but you see a lot of similarities at the same time. So do you think that step dance in Cape Breton has quite an important role in like creating community? Yeah, definitely. And I feel like this year especially has probably highlighted that with COVID, how much especially of like the summer social scene really does revolve around the square dance. And like the general awkwardness of like how originally regulations would let musicians do stuff and then like not always dancers. To me, that really highlighted, you know, so, so much of the summer socializing would be about going to the hall for a dance. And um, 
I think there is something very intimate about dancing, like not even like in a romantic way, just in like an interpersonal way. You, you're like physically close to someone. And if you're like, you know, you're doing a big squared set, there's going to be a lot of people. But like, you know, if two cu- like if you have couples within a big square set, you're very close to someone. And there's certain elements of trust that I think are built when you do partner dancing of any kind. And so I think when a lot of socializing revolves around square dancing, I think that's honestly, in my mind, like a good sign of like a high trust society. Like you trust someone enough to be that physically close to them and to do this long dance and that you're both going to do it together. And then you're going to switch off partners multiple times in a night, probably. So like, like you trust a lot of people if you're doing that. And so I think in general, any culture that has a strong like partner dancing presence, I think like there's a lot of trust building within that. And I think that's a really beautiful thing um, as an outsider in a lot of ways. Um, I didn't grow up doing anything like that to come in. Like, I still remember my first square dance so vividly. I was very nervous because I didn't think I would be very good at it. And I didn't know what I was doing. And then, you know, to have the trust that you can dance with someone um, when you don't know what you're doing, that they're going to help you get through it. I I think it's a beautiful part of um, the socializing in Cape Breton, just like all of it and how welcoming it is. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly felt the same. I was also a bit (laughs) nervous going to my first square dance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a little bit of pressure when you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. And they'll drag you along. (laughs) I know. I'd grown up doing loads of Kaylee dancing, but square dancing was like something completely new to me. Yeah. Don't have it here in Scotland. So, yeah. I was a wee bit nervous the first time. But as you say, like everyone was just so welcoming and it was great fun. Definitely. The first time doing it is always so nerve wracking. And then it's like, what was I nervous about? And then it's yeah. like you meet so also like if you're new and you do that, like you meet so many people doing that, that if you weren't local mm-hmm. to the area, that's a great way to just like suddenly like actually make a large web of friends pretty quickly, I'd imagine. Like, so that's how I felt. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of my, whenever I say one of my favorite memories from Cape Bren, I've got so many memories <laughs> and they all seem to be favorites. But um, <laughs> one of my favorite memories was going to the West Mabu square dance yeah the west mad with two musicians from rcs who were over for celtic colors we all got a lift with one of the festival drivers and he was from cape breton but never been to a square dance before and so then he ended up coming in and he didn't dance but he was watching it and he was having a great time and we were all having a great time and it was yeah it was just so lovely and welcoming wow that's i forgot about that now i do remember you going off and doing that (laughs) yeah (laughs) I mean, I also just thought, honestly, I just thought it was so cute. One of the, I think it was the first time I actually went to the West Mabu Square Dance. I think I went to like one of the last ones before Christmas one year. So like an off season, really, even though that runs year round. Um, But like off season for square dancing, for sure. And like a school from Sydney, they had like taken a bus up. Like the music teacher would do this every year. She would drive all the students up to a square dance like get him out of the city Aww. and I always thought that was so nice that that was something that she felt a strong enough connection to um culturally to like want to bring her students to and like it was a bunch of high schoolers and you know if you never maybe like there is square dancing in Sydney but like if you didn't really grow up maybe around that you'd probably be a little weirded out like when you're like a self-conscious teenager and all of the kids just absolutely went for it and I talked to a lot of them and a lot of them were like this is my first square dance and I thought that was so cool that like it was something that really brought them out of their shells and like they weren't weird about it and people were really helpful with the ones that didn't really know what they were doing. 
Mm -hmm. I just thought that was really neat because I imagined doing that with like my high school class and was like that. I don't know if that would have worked, actually. I don't know. (laughs) But somehow it did for these kids. And I loved seeing that. The reason that we're having this conversation is because you have recorded some wonderful step dance on my album, The Castalia. I certainly know what my experience of it was like, but I'd be, yeah, really interested to hear what your experience of it was like. (laughs) First of all, maybe about the experience of arranging the music, because obviously we did this remotely. I'm in Scotland, you're in the States. So we had a few months of sending each other recordings back and forth. I'd send you fiddle recordings and you'd send me videos of your steps. So how, how did you find that whole process? hilarious in a way um like such a (laughs) such a covid thing and in a lot of ways i was so impressed by um your work ethic with everything because you know this album was split between three countries and multiple states i was all over the place um so for anyone listening to this as a backstory between like agreeing to this and you know waiting for covid to like ease up a little bit i ended up um I ended up applying for a thing where I lived in Denver for a summer and it was a homeless outreach program. So basically I did the majority of this, all of the work with Isla and sending things back and forth multiple time zones away from Scotland. I'm only five hours behind Isla in Virginia, but I was seven in Denver, which was insane. I was living in a house with 30 people. So like, you know, you couldn't just dance all the time and it was very busy. And so it was like ridiculous. I didn't have a laptop with me. So I would like lilt tunes like that Isla had been playing and I would record steps and I would send them to her. And I'd be like, I know this seems really like I am just throwing together macaroni art. I'm so sorry. Um, And then, you know, sometimes there would be nights where people were awake and I'd be like, okay, we need to use your phone to record and my phone for music. We'll make it work. And like, I actually, in a way, I don't know how I managed to get everything done in time because I really, um, especially like with everything on the album, but especially like one of the tracks in particular, I really like wanted to sink a lot of creative energy into. And I was like, how is this going to work when I will basically work every day from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m.? And like, and it came together. And, you know, I was very lucky that I did get to do a good bit of dancing during lockdown or whatever. I was never very locked down in Virginia, but you know, I did have a lot of time off work during certain stages. So I was able to work a lot on dancing in general. And I feel like I had a lot of like ideas that I hadn't gotten to work with yet that I got to bring to life in this album. But you know what? I, up until the day of recording, I was like, how is this actually working? (laughs) And I had never done recording work either. So also I'm like, rolling up to a recording studio for the first time. I'm like, what could go wrong? And um, <laughs> and you know what? It actually worked out really well because when I was living in Denver, I was dancing at like 6,000 feet elevation. This is must be why Olympic athletes go to Boulder, Colorado to train because you're up really high and everything is way harder. <laughs> and so that was another thing. I would only send Isla like one tune, like within like a piece of music that she had played, I would do like one minute chunks of like one tune each because like I I could not get through all of it and by the time I got back to the east coast I recorded this um in like right near DC you know being at sea level really changes things so I just you know the day we spent in the studio it worked out so well because I had been home from Denver for two days and I went right to the studio and I had so much endurance like I I felt like Superman (laughs) 
it was it worked out really well um in the end it was as if we'd planned it totally it was like yeah I like when I agreed to this it was like in my mind I had already worked all of these things out (laughs) but I'm really glad that uh we were able to do this like with all of the time zones or like all of my weird plans that came up after I agreed to this like I'm, I'm so glad that we were still able to do it Despite all of that, because I I was so excited to get to be a part of this and honored, really. But man, it was it was kind of hilarious. Where I'm like, this is one of the more insane things I've ever done. I am very busy. <laughs> Honestly, I loved it. Like every video that I got from you was in a slightly different location. One was in a laundry room. <laughs> Some were in hotels. <laughs> yeah. So that was the other thing. Right when I finished up in Denver, my parents came to visit and we went on a road trip to Wyoming for like five days. So every night, if we spent it in a different place, I'd be like, can I dance at like this little Airbnb? Is there a spot I can dance? So yeah, I got like laundry rooms from where I lived in Denver. She got like the outside, like little patio of where I lived. O- offices. I think I sent some from like a classroom. Mm. Yep. <laughs> And then she got like every place I stayed along the way in Wyoming. And then finally one video dancing at home on a dance floor with real shoes on. Uh, So thank you for being so patient with me, actually. Not at all. Honestly, I really enjoyed it. It was, yeah, it was very enjoyable. I was seeing a little tour of different places in the States. You've now just been all around Colorado and Wyoming. It is because yeah, I just realized what a skill it is to play for step dance. Yeah, you know it's you've got to obviously you've got to match with the tempos and the transition, and keeping the beat like absolutely steady. It's yeah, it's quite a skill. Definitely, and like it's interesting because among dancers, you know, we all have musicians we really like, but then we'll have musicians. Oh, I like listening to their music, but I like dancing to this music. Like, I like listening to the recorded work. Mm. But when it comes to live things, you might not like dancing for them as much. And there are, like, musicians that absolutely get a reputation for being good for dancers. And then this was the first time that I'd worked closely with a step dancer to arrange music. And I find it fascinating, like, the creative process of just getting an insight into your thought processes of, like oh, this little bit, I think I could spice it up a bit. And then this bit, well, I'll change that if you do that kind of phrasing there. And it's such a, yeah, I don't know. I I just find it so fascinating seeing how you respond to the music and fit your dance to it. It's such a unique opportunity too, to get to really plan something out like this. Because, you know, if we were Mm. at a session, I don't necessarily know when you're going to throw out certain kinds of ornamentation. So some of it's down to luck of guessing correctly, and some of it's down to like when you're kind of familiar enough with the musician that maybe you can almost Mm. guess because you've heard their music so much. It's not that they're predictable. It's just that you're familiar enough that you can kind of almost guess things or you can feel where the tune is going. Whereas in a situation like this where you really get to plan stuff out, it was such a cool opportunity because everything got to be very intentional. And it wasn't like, Mm. oh, that sounded nice by chance. It was like, you know, we really got to go, okay, that step sounds nice, but does this other step sound a little bit better? Or how can that be changed? Mm. And so it was cool because it was like, it's similar in a lot of ways to how I go about improving, but it's like you almost pause the improving and then work within it. Um, Where a lot of times if I'm going to make up something, I do like to leave um, an element of improv in it, whether I'm like filming myself while doing improv in case something like happens naturally that I would like to reuse. 
Sometimes mm -hmm. I'll leave parts in a choreographed piece a little bit open to interpretation where it might be rigidly outlined steps and then there might be a few pieces where I'm like, whatever feels like should go there, that's what I'll put there, but I don't necessarily know. And then sometimes I do just plan the whole thing out. But even when I plan the whole thing out, a lot of my choreographing process involves a lot of improv of going, okay, like turn your mind off for a second and now do it or lilt it to yourself and then do it or like different things like that. Slow it down, speed it up, like play with it and see what comes out of it. And I guess there was there was a tiny bit of, well, I don't know if you'd define it as improv. Maybe it's not strictly improv, but on one of the tracks, yeah. you're doing some dancing at the end, which we didn't spend time choreographing. Yeah, we didn't um, spend time working on that. It's funny because usually I find that my improv, it's more what I'm better at because it's kind of the skill I use more often. But since COVID, I've had honestly more opportunities like this to like sit down with a piece and go okay what are we looking at here what do we want to pull out of this what are the themes that we want to keep in it um and so I almost found it more difficult to flip the switch than I normally do just because you know I haven't been going to sessions I'm not improving quite as much so I was like okay wait switch it back wait this is harder than I thought it would be but I was still happy with how it came out but it was funny because it did take more it honestly did take me more tries to record that correctly than I thought it would because normally that's something I would just get up and do. Um, so it's funny how like, it's I, I mean, it's ideal to keep both of those skills polished, but it's funny how like in different seasons of life, for various reasons, you might be more up to speed on one than the other. But it was also nice to be able to go into the studio and be like, okay, what am I in the mood to do today? Like, I didn't plan this one out. Mm. Like, what's going to come out? We'll yeah. see. <laughs> and so what was your experience of recording? Like, you said it was your first time being yeah, in the studio. Yeah, it was my first time in the studio. Um, so I was like intimidated before I got there because I didn't really know what to expect, especially as a dancer. I feel like we always approach any kind of gig with a little more uncertainty because I mean, there's been so many times that I've gotten to do a gig and they're like, ah, here's the space that you're going to dance in. It's like bits of concrete pebble, like, you know, like a, a sidewalk <laughs> in a garden. And you're like, really? Um, you know, you hired a dancer, right? So I'm used to things being weird as a dancer. And wow, it actually, I was really stunned with how not weird recording was. Um, I brought my own dance floor with me. Although um, the studio actually, I probably should have just reached out to them. I think there's enough dancers in the DC area that they were like, we could have just found you a floor. I'll remember that for next time. Um, but I came with my own floor and it was, it was pretty easy. Um, it was pretty painless. It was kind of everything that I would have expected from, you know, best case scenario, it'll go like this, but usually the best case scenario doesn't happen. Things didn't take as many tries as I thought. Um, I thought it was very cool that, you know, if you wanted to go back and re-record things, it was very easy to zero in on a spot and like superimpose a new recording over things. Or if you had like a recording and it's just like flawless, but there is one moment at one random spot where like you didn't hit the sound or it just wasn't what you want that you can either re-record it and go in or you can just like clip that like split second piece and move it slightly. And that really eased a lot of my fears of getting really exhausted at the studio. If things aren't perfect on the 10th try and you still have four other tracks to record, like, okay, your other tracks are gonna sound terrible because you're exhausted. Now, of course, I had the Denver Endurance going for me, and so maybe it wouldn't have been an issue, but it was nice that it did only take about four or five hours, as opposed to just hours and hours and hours and hours longer than that, 
Because I do feel like if you're being very, um, as you should be very particular, recording something like step dance that is going to be noticeable if it's not just right, you know, that is a fear that you are just going to run yourself into the ground eventually. You can't do 40 takes of a, of a dance piece, you'll die, you know? So the technology yeah. behind it all, I, I just thought was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because I should explain to listeners that me and Marie Fielding, the producer, were virtually with you in the studio. Yes. We were on Zoom, so... <laughs> We were seeing what was going on and hearing it all. We had a three-way um, Zoom going. <laughs> and there was a studio dog. Oh, yes, there was a studio dog. Most importantly, <laughs> I would recommend this studio to anyone for many reasons, but especially because of the dog. Uh, <laughs> I think her name was Kayla. And she, the dog was dancing uh, with you yeah, as well. She came. She was like jumping all over me. She was so <laughs> precious. And eventually they put it away so we could actually get to work. But I was like, I want to see her again. <laughs> Yeah, overall good yeah. experience. Like, I, you know, any of the stuff I was nervous about was fine. Yeah, and certainly talking about your stamina, I mean, that's something that struck me basically as soon as the recording session started, which obviously it must be like second nature to you to think about, well, I've got to save myself. I know how much dancing I've got to do and how much energy that's going to take. But yeah, I guess it's just not a thought process that I'm used to thinking about. I mean, to a certain extent, you do think about, and I was thinking about my stamina in the studio when me and Ellen were recording, but it's in a different way. You're thinking it's more mentally, I guess, than physically. Yeah. So yeah, that is quite a big thing that you have to think about. Yeah, it, it's a, definitely a huge thing because like, sure, when I practice, I mean, there are days when I practice for multiple hours, but a lot of times... Now that I'm getting to be elderly, not really, but you know, I, I am more cautious now with like practicing too much now that I'm in my twenties. Um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily go as hard as I did when I was younger and it's certainly not as hard as I ever, I mean, I was straight up an athlete when I was doing competitive Irish dance, I was doing all sorts of different things outside of dance. So like, you know, I might practice looking at an album like this. I might plan a few days a week where I'm going to practice for an hour and maybe there'll be a day where I do between two and three hours, but you know, usually I try to keep things to an hour. That's generally enough with other things I do in my schedule. And so, yeah, you are then looking at a recording day that like at minimum will be four hours long. And you know, so that is a fear where you're like, okay, well we needed to like not injure ourselves. We needed to pace ourselves, but still the day of recording, you know, is going to be very physically demanding. So I did have to train with that in mind of going like, how will you space out breaks? Like when you're there, or like you need to drink water between dances, but also not so much that you have stomach cramps, but not so much that you're dehydrated. So it's like, it's, you know, there is a lot of uh, strategy, but you know, like with any um, big day or big performance, you always have some adrenaline that kicks in, even if you're not really like in front of an audience. So even though, it, you know, it wasn't your, your typical gig where maybe there's a hundred people or whatever in the audience, you know, there's still an element of pressure there, like positive pressure of like, you need to deliver. And, you know, endorphins really do get you through a lot. So that's also useful. I slept a lot the next day. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, you must have been exhausted at the end of it. Yeah, I was. Um, but it was it was great because the guy who um, was doing all the sound stuff for me in the recording, he knew all sorts of good restaurants. It was a really cute area um, mm. that I recorded this album in, actually. And so just up the street, he knew all these good places to eat. So we had a big dinner before I hit the road. I live about three hours south of where I recorded um, the album. So I was like, I need to eat so I don't fall asleep behind the wheel. And it was a very good dinner for listeners who don't know. Isla is vegan. 
And um, this was always a running joke of ours in, uh, in Cape Breton because it was sometimes hard to find vegan-friendly foods. And we always wanted yep. stuff like hummus or, like, Lebanese food. And so that was, like, a thing that we liked to do together. So I went out after recording, and I got a very Isla-approved meal of Lebanese food, and it was delicious. <laughs> it looked so good. I was very jealous. I wish you had been there. It was it was very good. <laughs> oh. I was there in spirit. You really were. I was like, I, I, I couldn't eat anything else after doing something for Isla like this. <laughs> and so one of the tracks that you've recorded some steps for is named after you. Yeah. So this was a chin, a slip jig in F major that I wrote for you. Our key. F-Majors. <laughs> become our key. <laughs> Oh, it's bad, Isla. Ever since COVID started, I've learned, like, only keys and F. I have to switch things up. But, like, really? it's our key. I can't stop. This week, I learned um, Lennox Love to Ballantyre. It's another Stress Bay and F. Because, like, why not? Just more F tunes. So I was thrilled not oh. only to have a tune written for me, but the fact that it was an F really just tied it all together. And what was really special about it was Isla, if you don't know this about Isla, she loves to give people tunes as gifts like she'll write you a tune as a gift and I just think that as someone who doesn't really compose I think that's the coolest thing ever and so she sent me in like a speedy delivered like FedEx envelope that like was like high priority mail uh, before I moved to Denver this summer she sent the tune to me and like I thought that was so cool that I got to bring it with me I got to toy around with on the piano before I even danced with it and that that's like a keepsake I can have now from this Oh. And also, I, I mean, I don't have tons of tunes written for me. And this one, like, it, it's my name. So I was like, whoa, this is serious. <laughs> <laughs> Never see my there name on a tune. Few... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were a few confusing moments um, in our conversations where I'd be referring to the track Annabelle. And then you'd think, oh, you want me to do something? And I was like, oh, no, 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 sorry. I didn't mean you. <laughs> I meant the track. I was like, these are more rehearsals than I thought I was going to with Annabelle written all yeah. over them. <laughs> No, no, it's the tune. It's not you. That was the piece that I really wanted. Out of all the pieces, you, know, you want all of them to come out nice. But that was the one that I wanted to come out extra nice. Because, like, it was my tune. How could I not? It was such an honor to have it written for me. I was like, this needs to be the best best thing I put on this album. It should be the dancing on this. But hopefully all the other sound just is good. But I did it probably invest the most time into into that tune. Yeah, and I think, yeah, that there's a lot to do with, to do with that tune as well. Yeah. Um, and the length of it too, like there was so much, like, you know, because it's normal to come in and dance for like little bits of a tune, but to actually like dance an entire thing from start to finish with no like real mm. intro, that was a really cool thing that I hadn't really done before in terms of choreographing. As with all yeah. the tracks that you choreographed, it was fascinating to see how you came up with the different ideas for like each repeat and how you like built things up and yeah it's fun really cool yeah I oh gosh I loved doing it <laughs> and you also recorded a solo step dance track which I just love so so much can you chat a wee bit about how you came up with that <laughs> so this is just more of my haphazard summer of not knowing what I was doing for most of it or how I would work everything <laughs> in I um about a week before recording, I had spent so much time working on like the actual, the, like the steps to the music that I hadn't gotten to that yet. And um, so I first sent Isla a video and I was like, here are the steps. Okay, it was all improv, like none of that was planned. I had a vague notion. At first, actually, there was a little bit of a notion. At first I was like, 
okay, let's do a jig into a reel. But then I was like, oh, this is Kate Breton. Like, I, a Strass Bay kind of is more fitting into a reel. But then I went back to jigs into reels because I just find them very exciting acapella. And, mm. um, but I didn't, I didn't have a plan. I just did it. And I was like, well, what do you think of this? Um, and then you loved it. So then I went back and I tried to memorize some of the steps. But it was also one of those things where I knew that if I went into the recording studio, kind of with a blank slate, like good stuff can happen when you improv like that. So I memorized a portion of the steps and I kept a portion um, not memorized. And so my work, my brain workings in that was that I had a specific rhythm sequence that I was thinking about for the jig specifically of how I wanted to build them up, but I didn't necessarily always know what steps I was going to do to achieve that. But in my head, there was like a metronome that was like, okay, you need to emphasize these beats. And then the reel was a little more planned. And it was fun because I haven't done acapella stuff in so long. I used to sometimes uh, dance with some friends in Ireland if they had gigs. And every now and then the audience would want like just the dancer to do something. And so I would usually do something like that. But I haven't done that since like 2018, if I'm being honest, <laughs> like to intentionally do something um, acapella without thinking of a specific tune and just to like play with tempo. I mean, I do that kind of when I make up steps and kind of when I practice, but eventually, usually the music comes on and it turns into something. So I thought it was a really fun moment to go back and do that because it's so exciting sometimes just to have feet because your feet really are an instrument. And sometimes like even as a dancer, sometimes you forget that because you do spend a lot of time working with musicians or just like turning on your phone and listening to music and dancing, you know. One of the things I find really interesting is that you've experienced quite a lot of different traditional music scenes in different countries. But yeah, it's been um, great getting to experience step dancing in so many different areas. And then even getting a taste of like the music scene more in Central Europe. Some of my friends, good friends um, that I made when I was in Ireland were from Germany and Austria. So I had the opportunity to go back with them sometimes to do gigs over there. And so that exposed me to a lot of kinds of their traditional music. So I've just really been very grateful for all the opportunities like that I've had to learn and to like to see everything that connects us, but then at the same time, everything that makes each culture really beautiful and unique. Traditional musicians and dancers and storytellers will probably say similar things to what you've said and certainly I would like you know I started off playing fiddle because I live in Scotland and I played the tunes that I grew up with in the context that I grew up with and then gradually as you learn more about the tradition and you're like oh Irish fiddling is a thing <laughs> and then in 2019 I was like Cape Breton fiddling's a thing and suddenly like your, your mind is yeah. just broadened and you're like whoa okay like you say, these traditions are all linked, but they're also very unique. Yeah. Which is a beautiful thing. It's funny because like I can think of so many similarities you could draw between um, fiddle in Scotland and fiddle in Cape Breton. And then at the same time you listen to them and you're like, but these are still two completely different beasts. Uh, so I like I love that where it's like cousins of the same family and you can totally intermingle with them. But like they, they really do retain their own character. And I think that's such a beautiful thing about that and how you're never really done discovering other cultures and like learning about different music cultures. Because just when you think you've heard it all, you'll find some other random regional style that you never heard of before. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> you exist? This is so cool. <laughs> I know. Who knows what my next album will be? Maybe I'll be playing fiddle music from 
Where else is it? should go to the Ottawa Valley. That's where I want to go next. Ottawa Valley? There we go. That's like the one place I feel like I haven't been. And everyone's like, but have you been to the Ottawa Valley? And I'm like, maybe someday? Question mark? We'll go together. We'll make an album. Let's do it. There we go. There's a plan. Uh, Well, Annabelle, it's been an absolute pleasure, first of all, working with you on this project. Anyone out there looking for a step dancer, highly recommend getting in touch with Annabelle. It's been an absolute pleasure to work with you. And thank you very much for coming on this podcast and sharing all your stories about step dancing and your experiences of of dancing on the album. It's been lovely chatting to you. It's been lovely chatting with you too. Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. A big thank you to Annabelle for chatting to me about step dancing and her experience of recording on my album. And of course, a big thanks to you for joining us. You can find Annabelle's work on Facebook at Annabelle Bouguet Dance and Music. If you would like to buy my album, The Castalia, it is available on Bandcamp or at my website, islaratcliffe.com. See you next time. Mm-hmm.